starting a series this morning, so I'm going to take you to 2 Peter chapter 1, and uh, I want to share a thought with you that, you know, there are just certain truths in God's Word that we need to wrap our minds and our hearts around as Christian people if, if we're going to live to the fullest um, of the potential live out the fullness of the potential that Christ has prepared for us. And this is one of those truths. I say one, there are uh, several principles contained within this text that we're going to cover. Um, and I want to try to handle it very carefully and uh, precisely according to God's Word. Um, but I simply have entitled this series, Steps. Second Peter chapter 1, uh, again, the, the title of this series is called, is called Steps. And so, you know, the Bible says the, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Uh, the Bible talks about walking by faith, not by sight. Uh, God tells us in Galatians chapter number 5 to walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The sooner that you realize that the Christian journey uh, is, is a series of steps and it's not a race, we're not running the 100-yard dash, 100-meter dash, uh, it's a series of steps that we have to take, purposeful steps. We have, to, we have to purpose to follow these things. And so I want to share with you from 2 Peter chapter number 1, if you look with me in verse 1, we're going to read all the way down through verse number 9. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here he addresses those who have who've received the same faith that he had received and that the early church, the apostles had received, those who have obtained like precious faith. If you're saved, you have obtained this faith. It's not something you're working for. It's something that you have received by grace. And so he says we have obtained like precious faith. Verse number two, he gives us this blessing, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus, uh, of Jesus our Lord. Verse three, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, uh, which have been given to us rather exceeding great and precious promises that through these uh, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, that's a key passage right there because verse number four, he said that through these, these things that we're about to read and that we're about to study, through these in verse number four, you may be partakers of the divine nature. That means that you'll become more like Christ through applying these principles. Becoming partakers of the divine nature means that we, we adapt to the personality of God more so than we resemble ourselves. We ultimately, as believers, we want to resemble Jesus Christ. That's, that's what Christian means, a Christ follower, the one who resembles Jesus. So he says, through these, these principles that we're going to share, uh, we will become partakers of the divine nature, the same nature that possessed the human body of the Lord Jesus Christ, realizing that Jesus was fully God. He never cast off his deity, yet he was also fully man. What Jesus did, he did in the power of the Spirit, but he lived his life in a human body, right? He died as a man. Jesus died on the cross as a human being. God can't die. God had to become a human being in order to die on the cross for our sins. 
But three days later, he rose again, proving that he is God. And so we understand that uh, just as Jesus uh, walked on the earth, the Bible says just as he is, so are we in this world. We are to be the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ. When people see you, they should see Jesus. That's so true. When they see you, they should see Jesus. You should, you should stop looking so much like you and start looking more like him. Now, the beauty of that is, is that God wants to use your personality. God wants to, as crazy as that sounds, God wants to work through your personality. God's not trying to, God designed you for a purpose, but he wants to uniquely work through you. He wants to manifest himself in and through you, and this kind of goes along with what we said last week. But notice with me in verse number five, he says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now, here's an amazing promise. God's given us some great promises. But in verse number eight, here's an amazing promise. He said, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what this means. This means that, that if, if these things continually abound, if we will add these things to our lives as Christians, if we will be diligent, which is what the text says, be diligent means work as hard for this as you've worked for anything else in your life. It's funny how we treat our spirituality, isn't it? It's funny how we treat our spirituality in comparison to other areas of our lives. It's amazing to me that, that, that we would value physical things of higher esteem than spiritual things. And I know you're appalled because you, you don't ever do that, right? But the truth is we're all guilty of that. If we worked as hard at, at being physically healthy as a lot of people work, or, or spiritually healthy as a lot of people work at being physically healthy, we'd be doing well. If we would take as much time, even those of us who are maybe not 100% ripped out in the flesh, right, physically, I mean, you are looking at a specimen of physical health, but... I'm saying, you know, even those of us who maybe don't dedicate five or six days a week to go to the gym and work out for two hours and do all that crazy nonsense. I mean, we still take a lot of time. I know I'd get somebody on board with that. We still take a lot of time taking care of our physical bodies. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I wonder if you feed your spirit as much as you feed your, your body. I'm pretty three square meal a day kind of guy. Amen? So I, I'm not saying that to shame you or guilt you, but I, I am saying it to put an emphasis on the fact that we need to be purposeful about our spirituality, about the fact that, that we live in a spirit realm just as much as we live in a physical world. We live in a spiritual world. It's very real. And eternity is a long time. It's so long you can't qualify it with time. And so it's important that we learn these things. So he says, giving all diligence, add your faith, virtue, and so forth. But in verse 8, again, this promise, he says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means that God will continually, through these things, he will continually reveal more of himself to you. You'll never be, that doesn't mean we will ever in this life come to a fullness of understanding of who God is. We used to sing a song in the old Redback Church hymnal uh, that says, I want to know more about my Jesus. Anybody know that song? Good old just Stamps Baxter 
country sounding song. I like country songs. Uh, I want to know more about my Jesus. So, so this verse promises us that if we will add these things, if we will do these things, then, then we will never be lacking for more knowledge of who he is. God will continually be revealing more of himself to us. He will continually be giving us more of a revelation of who he is in person and in character and who he is in our personal lives if we will do these things, if these things be in you and abound. He says, you will never be unfruitful or barren in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number nine, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to the point of blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So there's a, there's a promise of blessing for those who will add these things, and there is a promise of cursing for those who neglect these things, not because God is placing some hex on you, but by default, just by, just by natural elements, just by whatsoever you sow, you'll also reap. He said, if, if you fail to plant, you're not gonna reap in harvest time. Okay, so that's not God being mean. That's not God, you know, being this, this big, masterful, mean guy uh, beating down on us because we didn't do the right thing. That's just God saying, you know what? I, I'm not gonna interrupt the laws of nature that have been set in place. If you don't sow, you're not gonna reap at harvest. All right, so I wanna share some things with you. Uh, concerning these steps that have to be made. I'm not gonna try to get, to in, get through any particular, you'll understand the genius of what I'm doing here. I'm not gonna try to get through any particular amount of points in one sermon. Amen? I tend to cram too much in. So we're just gonna, we're gonna take this as it comes, all right? If you look like you're getting it, I'll preach really fast. If you sit there and continue to look confused, I'm gonna slow way down and talk slow and we'll just have to walk through it that way, okay? Uh, so you pray with me as we dive into this. Father, we want to know more about Jesus. We want to be more enlightened in the realm of spiritual things. Father, we want to be more filled with your spirit. We want to walk more in the power of your spirit and less in the energy of our flesh. So please reveal yourself to us today. I believe that this series, this, this message is so vital to where we're heading as individuals and also where we're going together as a church, that God, I pray you would take these truths and impress them upon our hearts. Father, that we could not leave here the same way that we walked in. I pray that you would fashion us into the image of Christ. Lord, I pray today that your word would be made flesh, that the living, breathing words of God would become a part of who we are. Quicken us through your word. Father, your word is powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and I pray today that you would deal with us as only you can. We'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've got to give you an introduction because everything in the Christian life is of faith. It's not by accident that the very first thing mentioned in these steps, when he says, add to your faith virtue, uh, that, that is giving us the understanding that we have faith. Right? Do you understand the implication there? Add to your faith virtue, that means faith is already present. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, all right? We, <laughs> excuse me, we walk by faith, not by sight. You've got to, you can't even be saved if you don't have faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God has given you a measure of faith. God has bestowed upon every one of us this gift of faith. We have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as believers. So it, 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 it really, I'm constrained to take a few minutes to talk about faith this morning because faith is the foundation of this whole series. You're going to hear it repeated over and over, by the way. And so let me say a few things about faith to you. First of all, I want to say to you that faith is not a mere philosophy, okay? Faith is not 
a mere philosophy. What that means is faith is not just something that we refer to in times when we don't know what else to say. Faith is not an answer for unanswerable questions. It is, but it's not just that. See, a lot of times we treat faith like it's a, like it's a philosophical way of living. And faith is not a philosophy. Faith is not about rhetoric. It's not about just saying, well, you know, I don't understand that, but we just believe by faith. That's not faith, okay? Faith is not just a philosophical way of life. Faith is, the Bible says, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's not rhetorical. It's not hypothetical. Faith is something real that we really live by. Faith is the oxygen that fuels the fire inside the heart of the believer. Faith is not a mere philosophy. It's not just something that we talk about as a possible outcome or a possible way of life. Faith is the substance of all that we are and all that we hold true as believers. So faith is not a mere philosophy. Number two, faith is not blind. Critics often talk about blind faith. You guys just blindly follow that preacher, or you just blindly follow that church, or you just blindly follow that religion. But faith isn't blind at all. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7, it says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. All right? We walk by faith, not by sight. That almost sounds like the opposite, it almost, honestly, it almost sounds like an oxymoron. We walk by faith, not by sight. How are we walking if we don't see? Well, when it says we walk by faith and not by sight, it means we walk by faith, not by physical sight. We, we do see, but we're not seeing these things with physical eyes. What we believe and hold true, we have found to be true in our hearts by faith. See, the world says, show me your God. All the, all the polytheistic religions of the world have a God that they can point to, a pot-bellied Buddha they can point to and say, that's my God. The Hindus have physical elements, animals, statues, idols that they can point to and say, that is my God. That's my God sitting there on the table. That is my God sitting there on the shelf. But as believers, we can't point to a physical entity and say, that is my God. We don't have a God that we see. We have a God that we hear. And I would rather hear God than see God. Because only seeing doesn't give me direction, but when he speaks to me, I know which way to go. So faith is not blind. Faith is hearing the voice of God. Jesus said in John chapter number 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We follow him by faith because we've heard the voice of the shepherd. You have to be saved by hearing the voice of God. Salvation is by hearing God speak to you, not in audible tones, but in the spirit, in your heart, you hear the voice of God speak, calling you to himself, drawing you, wooing you by his grace, by his love, by his mercy. God welcomes you into the family. God welcomes you to find forgiveness. God welcomes you to kneel at the foot of the one they call Jesus, the Nazarene, and find deliverance and peace and power like you've never known. We have heard the voice of God, and by responding to his voice, the Bible says if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we will be saved for with the heart one believes for righteousness with the mouth confession is made to salvation why because we don't serve a God we see we serve a God that we hear and we walk by faith not by sight we're not following a physical God we're not following a physical compass we have the compass his name is the Holy Spirit living inside of us the genius of God's design 
The fact that God did not place himself in a statue to be pointed to, but God placed himself in earthen vessels. He said his spirit would abide in us. He would dwell with us. Just as Jesus physically uh, dwelt with the disciples, he said, I'm going away, but if I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's me. I'm going to be with you, but not in a physical body. I'm going to be with you in my spirit, and I'm going to live in you. I'm going to abide in you. I'm going to dwell in you, and I'm going to guide you with my voice through my spirit. That's why it's important for us to understand the voice of God and learn how to obey and follow his leadership. We walk by faith, not by sight. Point number three, by way of introduction concerning faith, faith is fundamental. It's the foundation of all that we are as believers, right? At the end of the day, I like to watch uh, debates on YouTube uh, between creationists and evolutionists and deists and theists and all these other ists and ologies and doctors and whatever, right? I like watching these, I like watching these debates. It's interesting, not that they ever go anywhere, right? Nobody wins, nobody's arm is raised at the end. We are the champions. We are the champions. Nobody wins, right? Nobody wins those things. But it's interesting because I like to hear the opposing views. It challenges me to think, right? I know Christians, we don't like to be challenged most of the time. But I like my thoughts to be challenged. I like my beliefs to be challenged, my philosophies, my way of life. I like that to be challenged. I welcome it. By the way, if what you believe in cannot withstand the scrutiny of honest questions, you need to rethink what you believe in. So I enjoy listening to that. But you know, here, here's, what, here's the conclusion that I've come to, especially, especially when, you, when you study and read after creationist versus evolutionist, you know, did God create the whole world in six literal days, or was there a gap, or was there a period of time, or was there, or, or, or is it just, you know, it was just a big explosion, just this, this gigantic explosion in outer space, and, and all of a sudden nothingness became something out of nothing, right? So, so at the end of it all, you can study carbon dating, you can study all these different things, all the, well, we, we, we know the earth is this old because we drilled 4,000 feet into the ice or some crazy, you know, right? Here's the end of the day. The truth is, here's the truth. No one else may ever tell you this, but the truth is at the end of the day, we both walk by faith. Well, you believe we got here by evolution or you believe that God created all things in six literal days. At some point, we all just say, you know what? That's what I believe in. You didn't see a big bang. You got that on YouTube? Vimeo? Was there an HBO special that somehow they caught that? That, gig- that, 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 that monstrous explosion, this big explosion that <laughs> and all matter was scattered out but yet somehow came back together and formed an intelligent creature that later morphed and evolved into a human being that can now do long division, right, and drive cars and build spaceships, right? If you believe that, look at me, if you believe that, you're free to believe that. But it takes more faith to believe what you believe than to believe that there's a divine designer that created all things. At the end of the day, we both walk by faith, right? You haven't ever seen anything evolve. You may have witnessed transmutations within species, but you've never seen a dog become a cat. 
You've never seen a frog stand up on its hind legs and, and start driving cars and flying airplanes. You've never seen that happen, right? So you've never witnessed it. You've never observed it any more than I observed when God said, let there be light and there was light. Any more than I observed that God said, let the light be called day and the darkness be called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. I wasn't there when that happened. I've just read the record of the one who did it. And I've chosen to believe by faith that that's the way it happened. By the way, it's far more logical. At the end of it all, it's far more logical to believe that God created all things. You say, well, you believe in a young earth theory? I just believe what the Bible says. And people say stuff like, well, you believe all that stuff about, you know, Jonah was swallowed by a whale and was in the whale for three days and three nights and then was spit out on the shore. Look, man, if the Bible says that Jonah swallowed a whale... I'd still believe it. Call it ignorant faith. I don't care what you call it. I've just chosen to pin my faith in God. I've chosen to place my faith in God. And by the way, I live with great peace having done that. Okay? So, so faith is fundamental to who we are. Hebrews chapter 11, I'd love to challenge you to study that, but let me give you one verse. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, it says, without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is fundamental. It is the foundational truth of everything we are and hold to as believers. By grace you're saved. Through faith we believe 2,000 years ago God became a man, suffered, and was tempted just like we suffer in this world and are tempted in this world. He identified with everything that we have to identify with in this earthly realm for 33 and a half years. We believe that. We believe by faith that 2,000 years ago he fed at one time, above 5,000 men and women with a little boy's lunch. We believe that he opened blinded eyes. We believe that he called Lazarus forth from the sleep of death. We believe these things by faith. We've chosen to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've chosen to believe the Bible. Yes, I am a Bible believer from cover to cover. I believe the whole book. I believe all scriptures given by inspiration of God. I believe it's all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I believe it's our roadmap. I believe it's our compass, our guide through life. That's what I've chosen to believe in. And by the way, thus far, I haven't gone wrong following God's word for 20, almost 21 years I've been following, following the Bible, God's word. Some of you have been following God's word far longer than that. And look, watch, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All these years now, having followed God's word by faith, there's a lot of evidence in your life that that's the right way to go. It's funny, I have old friends that reject Christ. They reject any notion of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. They think that being a, uh, following a Bible, it's antiquated, it's old, and all these criticisms that they heap at God's word, and yet at the same time, they want what I have. They're miserable, their families are falling apart, their lives are a wreck, and yet they want to reject Jesus Christ. Here's what I told one old boy. I said, your problem is you like the cake, but you don't want the recipe. It's, it's the goodness of God working in me. It's applying biblical principles that I'm going to share with you. That's why God blesses us and uses us. That's why we have peace in the storm. That's why even when all hell breaks loose, we can look the devil in the eye and say, I'm not afraid because my God is still on the throne. We stand and we walk and we live by faith. It's fundamental to who we are as believers. And then finally, I want to say this about faith. By way of introduction, uh, faith, faith has to be fed. Faith must be fed. First Peter chapter 1, notice with me, he, he goes on to say this in our text, if you kept your spot there in First Peter chapter number 1. I'm getting to that point. 
that I see better to read with my glasses off. So I'm going to pull them off and read verse 16. Look there with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 16. He says, for we did not follow. This is, this is Simon Peter writing, by the way. It's not some other dude with the same name. This is Simon Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, the one who preached the great message on the day of Pentecost. I mean, this is brother, Simon Peter, all right? He identifies himself in verse number one. But verse number 16, he says, for we, referring to himself and the other apostles, we did not follow cunningly devised fables, not philosophies, not just stories. We're not talking about Greek mythology. He said, we didn't, we didn't follow uh, cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. How cool would that be? Brother, this guy got to see it. He got to, he got to witness the miracles of Christ, cleansing the leper, raising the dead. I'm talking about walking on water. Brother, Simon Peter walked on water with Jesus. Twice, in fact. The first time he fell and began to sink, and he looked at Jesus again, and Jesus reached down, picked him up, and he walked on water again. I got a whole sermon I used to preach called uh, Walk on the Water Again because some of you have begun to sink, and you need to get your eyes back on Jesus and let him lift you back up. That's a good sermon. I'm going to preach that again sometime. But... But I'm saying he got to witness this stuff. Brother, he watched Jesus calm the storm. He watched Jesus cast the demons out of that, out of that maniac in Gadara. He watched as this guy who was cutting himself and, and, and crazy and, and just outside of his mind, he watched Jesus calm the storm in him so much so that the next time we see the maniac of Gadara, he's seated at the feet of Jesus, the Bible says, clothed and in his right mind. Simon Peter saw all of that. All the miracles that you read in the Gospels, what we read in the Gospels and believe by faith, he saw it. He said in verse number 16, he said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. Watch this. This was, this was God the Father putting his stamp of approval on God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And here's what happened. The Father from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He repeated himself on the Mount of Transfiguration to Peter, James, and John. And Simon Peter says, I heard that voice. I, I was there. I was an eyewitness. I physically heard the voice of God. I physically laid eyes on Jesus. I saw them crucify him. I was there the night he was arrested. I saw his body beaten and broken and marred. I've never seen anything like it in my life. He was so brutally uh, disfigured and, and, and abused. I had never seen anything like it, but my eyes gazed upon him as his torn, tattered body was nailed to a cross. I witnessed that personally. I was there. I know he died. I saw the Roman soldier take a spear and pierce his side. I saw the blood and the water pour out because he died, not of physical brokenness, but Jesus died of a broken heart and the water and the blood spilled from his side. I saw that. I witnessed Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They took him down from the cross. They wrapped his body in grave clothes. They put him in the tomb of Joseph, the tomb that had been created for Joseph. God laid his body down in that tomb. I saw it. I witnessed it. 
I was there three days later on that first Sunday, that Easter Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago. Simon Peter was there. He said, I witnessed the day that Mary Magdalene and the other women who had gone to anoint the body of Jesus at the tomb, I was in the room when they came running in and said, his body is gone. He's no longer there. I was, I was a part of that, Simon Peter said. I was there when it happened. Me and John jumped up and we ran from where we were and we, and we got to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and we saw that the stone was rolled back. We went inside the tomb and saw where the body of Jesus had been laid. We saw the grave clothes. We saw the napkin. We saw the evidence of death, but there was no death in the tomb that day. Only the voice of life, only an angel's voice saying, he is not here for he is risen. Peter said, he's rehearsing now. He said, remember I was there for all of that. I was there for all that. He's going somewhere. So am I. Verse 18, we heard the voice from heaven. We were were with him on the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. He said all the prophecies of Jesus. By by the way, there there were hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that were meticulously and perfectly fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, that's what he's referring to. He said, study the Old Testament. The Old Testament pointed to him. And he said, we saw all these prophecies, all these prophetic words confirmed. In verse 19, he said, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Verse 20, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture as if any, as of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Here's what Simon Peter said about his own visual account, his own visual record of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we have a more sure word of prophecy than that. We have not only, we witnessed it, But watch this, he said, I not only visibly saw Jesus, I not only uh, uh, audibly heard the voice of God, he said, but we have have something better than that. We have the record book of all things that have taken place, all things that have been fulfilled. And he said, so this sure word of prophecy, he said, it's never been wrong before, it's never failed before, and God's word will never be wrong and never fail again in this world that we live in. So understand that our faith has to be fed. How does our faith get fed? Well, he said in Romans 10, verse number 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've got to feed your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want more faith, you need to hear more of God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Simon Peter said, look, he said, I saw it, I heard his voice, but we have something better because because I could second guess later on what I heard. Can you imagine hearing God's voice thunder from heaven? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Wouldn't you later on go like, hey, dude, did I really hear what I thought I heard? Are you sure that, John, did you hear that? James, did you eat pizza last night too, bro? Because, like, I'm not sure what I heard is what I heard. But here's what he's saying. He goes, we have something better than hearing an audible voice that fades away. God has recorded his words. God has put in ink on paper. God has revealed himself to us in words that we can read. And you don't have to be a scholar or a doctor to understand it. He said, God has placed his word. It's so deep that you will never reach the bottom of the well of God's word, and yet it's so easily accessible that even a child can understand its tales and its stories and its accounts. 
the precious word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is why we encourage you to be in church on a regular basis because you need to hear the word of God. That's why pastors are referred to as shepherds. He said, feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. God's men, God's servants are appointed to feed you. I can't feed you if you're not here, right? I can't feed you if you're not here. It doesn't mean this is the only place you should get fed. If this is the only place you're getting fed, you're not getting fed very well because you need to eat seven days a week. I got you one day, and I'll bonus on Wednesday, right? But we need to learn what it is to be in the Word. I'm sorry you're so excited about that, right? Being in the Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I promise if you begin to sow the principles of the Word of God, you'll begin to reap the life that only God's Word can give you. Amen? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now I want to draw your attention back to 1 Peter chapter number 5. We're going to shift gears just a little bit here. And uh, I'm going to handle the rest of this lesson a little different than, than most. Because God, give, how many of y'all are good at math? If you're good at math, raise your hand. <laughs> no, are you being for real? If you're good at math, raise your hand. Seriously, my hand's down. That's not, I mean, that's not for effect, that's legit. How many of y'all are good at math? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, look at you, you freaks. <laughs> now raise your hand. I'm so bad at math, I couldn't even count fast enough to figure out how many. But not even half the room. Math is not my strength, right? I haven't quite figured out what my strength is yet, but it's definitely not math. And yet God has given us some math problems to figure out here in 1 Peter chapter number one. So if you were excited before, it's fixing to get real exciting because we're going to do math in church, okay? But don't worry, it's not calculus, it's not geometry. What's harder than that? Like, I don't even know where it goes from there. I had to repeat pre-algebra in ninth grade. That's how bad I am. That is not a joke. I failed at ninth grade too. What's after calculus? Trig? Trig what? Okay, whatevs, whatevs. All right, this is like first grade. Read this with me, okay? Verse five, he says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to. So here's where we've got this addition starts coming up. He says, add to your faith what? My gosh, y'all. Add to your faith. It's in your Bible. Virtue. So add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So, so we have we have this um, you know this this equation, this mathematical equation where he says keep adding these things. Okay, so he says add your faith. We've dealt with faith thus far. Okay, I hope you at least have a, an elementary understanding of what faith is. So he says add to your faith. Second Peter, chapter one, verse five. So it says add to your faith virtue. So faith plus virtue, I want to give it to you like this, faith plus virtue equals demonstrable faith, okay? So faith is always, did I spell it right? Faith is, I'm second guessing everything I do now. Uh, Faith is always going to be involved in everything that we do, 
That's why it took so much time to talk about faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's the reason we dealt with faith for so long because faith is gonna be reflected in every single one of these things. We're never to stop operating and living in the realm of faith. So when he says add to your faith virtue, he doesn't say replace your faith with virtue. He says add to your faith virtue. Bring it, into the, bring it into the realm. Don't take faith away. Keep living by faith, but add to your faith virtue. The word virtue simply means, if I were to give you a very simple definition, the word virtue means strength from straining. Strength from straining. I've said it this way before. Uh, virtue is learning how to flex your spiritual muscles, Right? If you're gonna get stronger, you've gotta put more weight on, you've gotta press, you've gotta push, you've gotta try and you've gotta work. That's why it says giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So virtue is strength from straining. It's when you learn to exercise your faith. It's when you learn to purposefully work out your faith. It's when you realize that, listen, this Christian life is more than going to heaven when I die. It's understanding that God has given me a purpose to live. And God has called me to a life that's victorious and God has given me abilities to do things in the faith and in the spirit that I could never do in my physical body. So virtue is learning to live out your faith. Add to your faith virtue. We're gonna call this demonstrable faith because I'm playing off the words of James. If you remember in the book of James, chapter number two, verse number 18, he says, look, some of you say you have faith, but you have no works. Remember we said in the introduction that faith is not a philosophy. Faith is not just something you, put, you profess. He said some of you declare that you have faith, but you have no evidence, you have no works. There's nothing coming out of your life that would prove or demonstrate the notion that you really have faith. Faith is substance. Faith has evidence. So James is challenging those who declare faith with no demonstration of faith. He said you say that you have faith, but have not works. He said, can faith save you? The answer to that question is no. Faith cannot save you. The answer to the, the flip side of that coin is works can't save you either. <laughs> right? You're not saved by works. You're actually not saved by faith. You're not saved because you have faith. James goes on to explain that the devils believe and tremble. Hello? You're not saved because you say you have faith. He said the demons, he said you say that there's one God. You believe there's one God. You believe that there's a creator. You believe that there's a God in heaven. He said, great, awesome. Good revelation, dude. But demon spirits believe that too. And they're lost and they're gonna burn in hell for eternity. So you're not saved by faith because you can declare faith in something and not actually possess it. You're not saved by works because the Bible says, for by grace you save through faith and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what's the text telling us? What is James explaining to us in James chapter number two when he says, uh, can faith save him? He's saying to us that you're not saved by faith. Faith didn't die for you on a cross. Faith didn't shed its blood for you. Faith cannot become the propitiation for your sin. Jesus is the only one who died for you, was buried and rose again. He's the only one who can save you. You're not saved by your faith. You're saved by the one you've placed your faith in. And he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the redeemer of mankind. So it's not your faith that saves you. It's where your faith is anchored. If your faith is anchored in religion, you're lost. 
If your faith is anchored in your good works, you're lost. If your faith, if your faith and your confidence is in some title or some creed or some certificate, you're lost. If your faith, however, is anchored in the King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, you are born again, you're saved and safe forever through him. But here's the concept and here's the truth about faith. It's, it's true for every believer. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. If, if what you claim as faith does not produce in you works, your faith is not alive. Because real faith has substance. Real faith has evidence. Real faith will produce fruit And so that's the concept of James. So when he says, add to your faith virtue, what he is saying is, realize this, that if faith is in you, if you have really genuinely been saved, this would answer so many questions to so so much confusion among Christian circles. When the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? That would go right along with this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If If you're gonna work it out, it has to be in you. If salvation is in you, he says, work it out. I'll say it to you this way, we're not saved by works, but real salvation works. We're not saved, we're not saved by works, but we're saved for work. We don't work for salvation, but we do work from salvation. Salvation is the starting point. And from that point, the Bible says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature, old things pass away, all things become new. It's the doctrine of regeneration, meaning God has rebirthed you. God's given you a new name. He's given you a new daddy. He's given you a new family. He's given you a new inheritance. He's given you a new citizenship. He said he's made a difference in you. And so add to your faith virtue. Let the world see the work of God in you. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works, James said. Right? Show me your faith. Talk about your faith some more. Tell me more about how much faith you have when there's nothing to back it up. And he said, I will show you my faith. I will have to talk about it. I will let you see it. I will let you see the work of God in me. I will let you witness the work of God in me. Understand, this is not an isolated concept in the Bible. This is a dynamic, overarching truth found all throughout the Word of God. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. There will be evidence if you're saved, if Jesus is in you, I promise you, I promise you based on the authority of God's Word, there will be a demonstration of that faith. Because faith is visible. Faith has substance. Faith has evidence. So he says, add to your faith virtue. That's demonstrable faith. How are you demonstrating your faith in your daily life? How how could others witness the work of God in you? Well, you say, I tell people I've been saved. You should tell them. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You should never be ashamed of being a Christian. Let them label me what they want to label me. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the grace of God, I'll continue to believe in him to the day I die and profess him from the rooftops. We should never be ashamed to profess our faith in Jesus Christ. But profession, profession, without that prophetic word becoming real and evident in your life where other people can witness it. Look at me, look at me. If you've recently got saved, you should tell other people you got saved. On the flip side of what I just said, however, you shouldn't have to tell them. 
you should not have to tell them because they ought to witness such a difference in you. I had someone just tell me last night, a mama said to me about her son, she said, I've seen so much change in my boy since he's been coming to your church. I got news, mama. It ain't the church. It's the Jesus of the church that makes a difference. You, you should tell people about your faith. Absolutely, 100% tell them. Open your mouth. Nothing, nothing, nothing courageous about a quiet Christian. Amen? Somebody said silence is golden. I think silence is oftentimes just pure yellow. You ought to open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. But at the same time, they ought to see Jesus in you if you never say a word. They ought to witness the work of God in you if you never, ever say a word. We're going to give the invitation. I'm, I'm not going to go to point number two. There are seven points to this series, by the way. And I can get through them if you want. But I feel like we should, we should just settle in right there and let that soak, soak into our spirit, right? Faith plus virtue equals demonstrable faith. You ought to be, your faith ought to have evidence, 